She didn't hear me. That's good. And it's not on tape, so nobody tell her, okay? I think I mentioned it last week that, uh, and it sounds peculiar to some people, but it depends on how you obviously define religion. And if you've been around here long enough, you know how I define it. Uh, it's, it's man's attempt to, to make himself acceptable to God, which is futile. Uh, Christian, Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is not religion. It is, it is God initiating a relationship with fallen man. But Satan loves religion. He loves them all. He created them all. Uh, I have no doubt that it's probably his greatest source of nonstop entertainment. I can envision him and his minions sitting around laughing at all the goofy stuff that they can get humanity to believe. You know, if you ever actually do a survey of world religions and cults, you, you realize that men will believe almost anything. Um, it doesn't really matter how cartoonish it might be. Uh, down through the history of mankind, Satan has been successful in getting men to worship everything from bugs to stars and everything in between. It's a historical fact. Men will worship almost anything that can be imagined. In our modern era, Satan has some men believing that everyone is part of God and you can just keep reincarnating up the food chain until you are absorbed into um, the universal spirit. Satan has some men believing that the key to life is to achieve enlightened consciousness and eliminating all desire and it involves a little golden fat guy. Satan has men believing that jihad and martyrdom is the way to go and 72 celestial virgins are the payoff. Satan has men believing that ultimately they can become a god. They can become a god and rule their own planet and populate that planet with their many wives having eternal sex with their many wives. Satan has some men believing that you, can, you need to become an operating Thetan, and I didn't spend much time on this one, but you can see Tom Cruise on that. <laughs> Satan has some men believing in atheistic naturalism. You know that we're all just grown-up germs, right? And eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we'll just be fertilizing the begonias. That's all life is about. You know that ultimately I'm going to be fertilizer. That's really the high watermark of human life or human existence. There are 10,001 stupid things that Satan has been successful in marketing to a gullible human race, but I have no doubt that his proudest um, achievement is counterfeiting the Word of God through false teachers and false denominations. What I like to call, and if you've been around a while, you've heard me say it many, many times, pseudo-Christianity. No doubt, Satan is particularly proud of his accomplishments with regard to pseudo-Christianity. He has been breathtakingly successful in selling false gospels, in creating and marketing other gospels, another gospel, as Paul talks about from the ritualistic works-based sacramental religiosity of modern Roman Catholicism to the rote liturgical superstitious mysticism of modern Eastern Orthodoxy to the liberal, cheap grace, cotton candy, name it and claim it, claim it genres of Protestantism. If we are biblically literate, we know that it's sadly true. Satan has co-opted much of what the world calls Christianity. We understand that. The world sees these various expressions, religious expressions, as Christians. But if we actually look at what many of these people teach and say, we realize that Paul is right. It is another Gospel. It is not the biblical Gospel. And I challenge you. You come challenge me on anything I've already said. It may... It may upset some of you. You know, I get often critiqued for being blunt and being, what's the other word? Blunt. 
But you know what? If you're a called of God preacher, you have at least one function. You know, you're supposed to know your Bible and you're supposed to be able to call a lie a lie. And you're supposed to be able to tell God's people that is a lie, that is another gospel. That's not the gospel that comes from the Bible. That's the gospel that men have made up. That's the gospel that men have made up. So essentially, the true gospel has been lost in many of these so-called churches as men have reinterpreted, amended, supplanted, and edited this. And those of you who are new, this is all we do at ICM. This is all we're about. We don't do anything else. We do this. We come together. We study God's Word. When we meet outside of the church, we study God's Word. We're about God's Word. We want to know what God says. We don't care what men say. Now, they may say some good stuff, but I don't really care ultimately. What I want to know is what God says. That's what this church is about. Now, false teachers, this is not a new problem. God has been calling out false teachers for thousands of years. Uh, it was true in Old Testament Israel, and it's true virtually in every book of the New Testament. God, the Holy Spirit, is attacking false teachers and or false teachings. And it's what the Holy Spirit is going to spend all the second chapter of Second Peter doing. We'll be in it for at least another week or two. As I told you, I've been critiqued for being blunt, and we don't profess to have a corner on the truth in this church. We just struggle mightily to understand what God has said and to have integrity with what God has said. We try not to import our presuppositions. We try not to lay our, our cultural biases on the Word of God. We try to get deep into the Word of God and understand what God is saying to us. That's what we try to do. We don't profess to have a monopoly on truth, but listen, we know how to read the Bible, we know what words mean, and we know when there's a false teacher teaching things contrary to this, we know we're supposed to stay. That's false. God spends almost every book in the New Testament saying that's false. Beloved, you're supposed to know the Word of God and you're supposed to be able to know what's false and what's true. You're not supposed to believe what's true because I say it or because some pastor says it or some pope or some patriarch. You're supposed to know it's true because you own it for yourself. You have spent time in God's Word. And you know what it teaches. And when you hear a lie, you know it. You just know it. You know that it is false. If you love God's people, you warn them about false teachers and about false teaching so you can call me blunt if you want. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. I'm good with that. Call me whatever you want. <laughs> um, Every call of God preacher understands what's at stake when he preaches. Everything forever. Everything forever is at stake. And so, I don't play games in the pulpit. I'm not here to entertain you as I've been telling you the last few weeks. I've touched on this. I'm not here to entertain you or be your life coach or you know, feed you pop psychology. I'm not here to do any of that stuff. You know, you can go get that on the internet. I'm here. I have one job. That's what I've been saying for the last couple of weeks. It's what Peter said a week or so ago. I have one job, to remind you what God said. That's, that's my only job. And to exhort you to actually do what God says. That's what a called of God preacher will do. So loving God and His people compels the true preacher to speak against false teachers, false denominations, and any form of pseudo-Christianity. There's a shocking naivete among many who profess, profess to be Christians. They actually believe that if a preacher says it, it must be right. That if a priest says it, it must be right. That if a pope says it, it must be right. That if a patriarch says it, it must be right. Listen, let me be the first to tell you, if that's what you believe, that's wrong. Men will lie to you. Religious men will make up stuff and they will lie to you. 
If you can't find it in the Bible, beloved, or if it contradicts the Bible, you well, if it contradicts the Bible, you know it's a lie. But if you can't find it in the Bible, be suspicious. Be suspicious. We are a people of the Word. Christians are supposed to be a people of the Word of God. We're supposed to know it. We're supposed to eat it. We're supposed to drink it. We're supposed to breathe it. And of course, ultimately, we're supposed to live it. And the Apostle Paul said it in the most unforgettable way. He says, man, he doesn't say if a preacher comes or a pope comes or a bishop comes or a cardinal comes or a patriarch comes and preaches the gospel, he takes it to another level. He says if an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to this, let him be accursed. And that's what we're going to see in 2 Peter chapter 2. God's judgment will be falling on false teachers, men who teach anything contrary to this. They are false teachers. God says, let them be accursed. The, the word is anathema. He says they are doomed to destruction. I looked it up in my Greek lexicon. It says they are destined for the direst of woes. These are God's words. These are not my words. This is why I am not shy about pointing out error. God takes no prisoners in this regard. When men are blaspheming His Word, when men are denigrating the Gospel, when men are bringing down Jesus Christ, when men are saying, you must have Jesus plus all this other stuff, God has no tolerance. God has no tolerance. We're going to see it in eight times in this chapter. The word destruction is, is mentioned. There are three or four Greek words that are translated destruction in this chapter. Eight times. God is bringing down destruction on all those who are fast and loose with His revelation. All those who try to add things on to the, the, the good news of, of Jesus Christ. God is clear. What God said to false prophets in the Old Testament, it's true, false teachers today. I'm just going to go back and give you a brief look. Just an excerpt from Jeremiah 23. I want you to hear these words. These are God's words to His ministers in the Old Testament. Woe to you, shepherds, prophets, and priests, for you are polluted. I have found wickedness in my house. They have done an offensive and horrible thing. This is God speaking through the prophets. They led into futility and speak from their own imagination. They intend to make my people forget my name. <laughs> Behold, I am against the prophets, God says. He says it three times in Jeremiah 23. Go look it up. Behold, I am against the prophets. Behold, I am against the prophets. Behold, I am against the prophets. They have perverted my word. God says through Jeremiah, and I will put an everlasting reproach upon them. Just as a brief summary, God has told us in chapter 1 of 2 Peter that we have a divine salvation, verses 1 through 4, whereby we are partakers of the divine nature. We have a divine sanctification, verses 5 through 11, whereby we make our calling and election sure. And we have a divine revelation, 12 through 21, whereby we have God's sure word. And last week we saw that the Christian has everything the Christian needs for that perilous journey to the celestial city. God has given it to us. We have all we need. He has given us the word of God. We have all we need. You know, don't call yourself a Christian if you're not eating this. Because I, I just don't think you are. I mean, you might be a cultural Christian, but I really don't think you're real about it if you're not needing this every day to find out how you can live like Jesus has called you to live. Because I can't do it. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. I don't know, but I can't do it. If I don't have this to strengthen me every day, if this is not my meat and my drink, I can't do it. I can't live like Jesus has called me to live. You know, Jesus has called you to live in a supernatural way. You understand that, right? 
You're supposed to be a supernatural being out in, the, out in the earth or out in the world. People are supposed to know that you belong to Jesus. And I can't do that without this. I, I can't. You come tell me if you can. I doubt you can. You may be fooling yourself, but if you're not eating the Word of God, if it's not written on your heart, if it's not on your tongue, if it's not in your mind, I think it's a game. I think it's a game. So obviously Satan attacks God's church from the outside, but he is particularly adept at attacking the church from the inside. And again, I'm referring to false teachers and pseudo-Christianity and all of its varied forms in these last Days, Second Peter chapter two, verse one. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. These false prophets arose among the people. Simply, Peter is saying. He's simply saying that this, was, this is what happened in Old Testament Israel. And so we have some understanding of how God views false teachers. Does anybody remember what the, the, the penalty was for being a false prophet? It's in Deuteronomy 18.20. Does anybody remember? We send them to rehab, right? What do we do? We, we send them back to seminary. What does God say? God, God's in the theocracy, in Israel's Old Testament theocracy. And we understand the church is not a theocracy. Some things apply to Old Testament Israel that don't apply to the New Testament church. But in the Old Testament, in God's theocracy, the sentence was death for any false prophet. Let me go back and just share one more excerpt from Jeremiah 6, 13-15. And from the prophet even to the priest, this is God again. They have dealt falsely. Are you naive? Do you believe if a man has a fancy robe and a cool cap that he'll tell you the truth? Be suspicious always. You know, you should come in here, you first-timers, you should be suspicious of me. In all reality, false teachers are everywhere. I may be one! Hopefully there are a few people around here who will tell you they've been around long enough and they know I'm not. I'm blunt sometimes. But Lord willing, if I ever find myself in error, I will correct it. You know, we come to, God, we come to God's Word with, a, with, with humility, trying to understand the fullness of what God is saying to us. God goes on, Jeremiah 6, 13-15 accusing the prophets. He says, they have healed the brokenness of My people superficially. Man, that is rampant in the modern church. Saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. They were not even ashamed. They don't even know how to blush. These are His ministers. Therefore, they shall fall at the time I punish them. I will cast them down, says God. Let me ask you, those of you who know your Bibles, why was it that false teachers not only existed but flourished in the Old Testament? Why do you think that was true? I'm sure some of you would have some adequate answers. God gives us His answer in Isaiah 39 and 10. He says, For this is a rebellious people. He calls them false sons. Sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. Who say to prophets, you... Listen, you're not going to believe this unless you've you know, hit this text recently. Isaiah 39 and 10. Who say to the prophets, the people say to the prophets, you must prophesy, you must not prophesy to us what is right, but speak pleasant words to us Prophesy illusions. 
This is what God's so-called people were saying to the prophets. We don't care what God says. We don't really, we're not really interested in the truth. We're really not. Say something nice to us. That's what the Old Testament Jews were saying. <laughs> it's 21st century, right? Say something nice to us. Build me up. Make me feel good. So why did the false prophets thrive in the Old Testament era? Because the people wanted them. The people wanted illusions. They wanted pleasantries. And we don't do that here. <laughs> so if you want illusions and you want pleasantries, uh, you know, in a superficial sense, we have deep pleasures here, the pleasures of God. But if you want that kind of stuff, I save you some problems. Don't come back. I want you to come back. I want 10,000 people to walk through that door. But you know what? I know that the demographic that's out there that wants to actually hear what God says, I know it's a small demographic. I just, I just know it is. It is a small demographic. So let me ask you this question. Let's ask this question. Rhetorical question. Why do you think false teachers flourish in the New Testament church? Anyone want to hazard a guess? How many guesses do you need? It's the same as it was in the Old Testament church. People want their ears tickled. Right? God says it in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accum accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Man, that is rampant. That is rampant in what is called Christendom today. People chasing after myths. It's astonishing, really. People calling them Christians, calling themselves Christians, and chasing after myths, chasing after traditions, living by what men have said in councils and creeds instead of what God has said clearly in His words. The modern church is much like Old Testament Israel. Give us illusions, give us superficial pleasantries. That's what we want. And I'll be honest with you, I was sharing with someone earlier. I'm surprised we've survived for 10 years here. I am. I just, I just am. <laughs> because we preached this. And I, praise God, there's a remnant that flows through Milan on a regular basis. And they really they care about the truth. They want to hear the truth. They want to be emboldened by the truth. They want to know what God says, not what some man says, or what some pope says, or what some patriarch says, or what some other pastor said. We want to know what God says. i got to have what God says. i got to have it, beloved. I don't know about you. i got to have it. One of my greatest joys is to go sit under some other preacher who preaches God's Word. It's one of my greatest joys. And I just get filled up. You know, it's one of my greatest joys. So, yeah, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not a cheerleader. I'm not a professor. I'm not an entertainer. And I'm not a feel-good, name-it-and-claim-it prosperity preacher. I am I'm a simple, simple, and this church is a simple, simple church. We just do this. We just do this. We remind you what God says, and then we call you to do what God says. So why does Satan's false teacher, or why are they able to get so much traction in what is called the Christian church today? Because many in the so-called church prefer a good tickle over the Word of God. They prefer illusions and pleasantries over conviction, repentance, holiness, and obedience. Beloved, this is the truth. It's what we said last week. It's not that men don't understand what God is saying. It's that men do understand what God is saying. It's not that men don't get what God is saying. It's that they don't like what God is saying. So they say, give us illusions and pleasantries. 
Verse 1, Peter says, these false prophets arose simply past tense. Then he says, these false teachers will arise among you simply present and future tense. False teachers will always be in the church. Jesus said, Matthew 7.15, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Peter says, such men, they from verse 1, they secretly introduce destructive heresies. As biblically literate Christians, we're supposed to know this and always be on the lookout for it. I told you a minute ago, always be a little suspicious when you go into a new church. You need to be listening for error. Is this guy a called of God preacher? Or is he, did he call himself to the ministry? Uh, what are his motives? You know, you've got to listen. Karen and I, we visit around and, you know, you just listen. When we go home sometimes, we, you, you need, we, we're trying to hear if this guy is real or not. Is he of God? Or is he of the adversary? Because let me tell you, you know this, and some of you aren't going to like it, but if it's not true, someone tell me what it is. It's a lie. Who's the father of lies? Satan. If it's not true, and the way I define that is, if it's not in that book, the 66 books, if it's not in the 66 books of the Bible, or if it contradicts what the 66 books of the Bible say, you need to be at least suspicious of it, but if it contradicts that, it's a lie. And it's demonic. It's demonic. Oh, Jim, that's too hard. No, it's what God says. If it's not the truth, it's from the the devil. Yeah, I'm going to clean all you guys out tonight. (laughs) Um, This is a hard sermon. But, you know, we're not going to play patty cake with it, okay? We're going to do our best to try to convey... Well, God is saying, you know this, beloved. I hope you know this. If you call yourself a Christian, you've been around a few years, Satan doesn't come to you as Satan. How does he come to you? He comes to you in a myriad, myriad ways. He may come to you in an article. He may come to you in a commercial. He may come to you in a song. He may come to you in a family member. He may come to you as a professor, as a friend, as a preacher, as a pope, as a patriarch, as an angel of light. He will come to you masked. He will come to you with a mask on. This is how Satan comes. He doesn't come and say, I'm Satan. And here's what I say. He comes to you as a minister of Christ. And beloved, the world is full of men who say they minister in the name of Christ. But they belong to the evil one. Just listen to the, what they teach. Just listen, to how, just listen to what they say. Just read what they write. These men secretly introduced destructive heresies. These false teachers, oh, guess what? They don't look like they're false teachers. <laughs> oh, guess what? They look like nice guys. They sound like nice guys. Some of them even smile a lot. They smile all the time. They're in the church. They name the name of Jesus. But God is telling us these guys are stealthy. They are subtle. They are covert. They are clandestine. They infiltrate the church of Jesus Christ and introduce destructive heresies. This word introduced, it simply means to smuggle in. They secretly smuggle in untruths. And we were talking about the other night at Young Adult Bible Study. They preach the truth. They'll preach a truth, a truth, a truth, a half-truth, a half-truth, a half-truth, a lie. This is how they do it. This is the formula. Truth, 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 half-truth, 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 lie, lie, lie. This is what... This is, this is, this is their M.O. They may say some good things, but interspersed in the good things are things that contradict what God says. Are there th- are, or there are things that men have added to the Gospel. 
Which again, I want to say, if a man tells you you need anything other than grace and, and Jesus Christ, if a man tells you you have to do some kind of religious works to be saved, I want to tell you that man is telling you a lie. It is not the truth. You can't do anything to be saved except to repent and believe. God's done it all, right? He's done everything. If some man tells you you've got to do these five things or these eight things or you've got to do these six things, it's demonic. That's adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ and I've got to tell you, it's demonic. It's not from God. These destructive heresies, the word destructive here, it actually means literally, it means damning teaching. Damning doctrine. Do you understand? That's what the word destruction means. Damning. It is damning. These guys just don't attack the periphery of, the, of Christianity. They have attacked this core of Christianity, which is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Basta. But they're adding all this religious junk on there. Oh, you got to do all this. you got to do all this. you got to do all this. That's blasphemy. It denigrates, the, it denigrates the person and the work and the words of Jesus Christ, beloved. This phrase here, even, they even deny the Master who bought them. So what's Peter saying here is a difficult phrase. Uh, he's saying that their teaching, either directly or indirectly, ultimately denies the sovereign lordship of Jesus. And it's a difficult phrase. It seems to imply that these false teachers were once genuinely part of the body of Christ, that they did belong to Jesus in some way. Uh, if, you, you know, if you read that, it says, who had bought them. You're, you're almost left with that aftertaste in your mouth as you read that verse. But the Bible always interprets the Bible, so we know that the Bible's not saying that. The Bible can't say that. Because, because of a mountain of theology in other passages tell us that a man, once saved, will not turn from Jesus Christ simply because God holds that man by His sovereign power. You can't be saved and then not be saved. That's a biblical impossibility. So we know that's not what it's saying. And of course, as we read on in the text, we discover that these guys certainly aren't Christians or never were. They are full of sensuality, full of greed. They speak false words. And what does the text say? Their judgment is from long ago. <laughs> right? Their judgment is from long ago. These guys were never Christians. They claimed to be Christians. They associated with Christians. They acted like Christians. They talked like Christians. They, they held positions of authority as a Christian ought to, but they were never real Christians. Someone tell me who they were. They were Judas. We've mentioned Judas several times in the last few weeks. These men were Judas. These men are Judas. You know... John 15, Jesus talks about the branch. Every branch in me, it makes you think, well, they must be Christian. No, the Bible interprets the Bible. John 15, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father takes it away, and they are thrown away, and they are cast into the fire, and they are burned. It's the Judas branch. The Judas branch. Branch. You know, that John 15 text is right there after Jesus dismisses Judas. Uh, he's just dismissed Judas. Go and do quickly what you purpose to do. And then Jesus goes into the parable of the vine and the branches. Again, the same Greek word translated destruction here, it means damnation. That's what the word means. There's no mistaking God's anger and wrath toward these false teachers who purposely butcher the gospel for their own job security or their own prosperity. As verse 1 says, they have brought swift damnation upon themselves. Verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of the truth will be Malign. There are two dreadful consequences here mentioned in verse 2 for these, that these false teachers bring into the church. Many, many follow after them. Many in the church follow after them. 
And the true Gospel is maligned. Obviously, this verse assumes that there are many people in the church who are not Christians at all. What I mean by that, you may be a cultural Christian, but what I'm talking about is a born-again Christian, a regenerate Christian. You are in a spiritual relationship with God. You are born again. You love Christ above all things. You are His. There's no doubt about it. You're not playing games with Him. But this text is assuming that there will always be unregenerate people, people who are not born again in the church. You know, there are a lot of different reasons people associate themselves with the church who are not truly part of the body of Christ. Sometimes they just like to come for a pep talk. You know, they go to churches, they get pep talks. And they're promised, hey, if you give money, you'll, you'll get rich. God's a, a cosmic slot machine. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons that people sometimes come to church. And maybe sometimes people are just seeking, and that's a good thing. You should come here and seek. You should come here and seek. That is obviously a good thing. But what was true in Old Testament Israel is true in the New Testament church. There's always a remnant. You guys remember uh, the story over in 1 Kings 19 after the, uh, the incident at Mount Carmel. And Elijah said, I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. Do you remember what God says? He says, I've kept 7,000 for myself. 7,000 who have not bowed a knee to Baal. God has His remnant always. God always has His remnant. And we know this teaching is, is just you know, replete in the Gospels. Jesus was always talking about this. Matthew 7, Jesus said, Many will say to Me, Lord, Lord, I did all this cool religious stuff. And He'll say, I don't know who you are. Depart from Me, you who practice lawlessness. That was one way that Jesus talked about it. He talked about it in Matthew 13 a little different. He talked about the parable of the soils. People who receive the Word with joy, but it's only temporary, and they ultimately fall away due to, due to affliction or persecution. He mentioned it again in Matthew 13. He talked about the parable of the wheat and the tares. There will always be the false among the true. It, is, it was that way in Old Testament Israel. It's that way in the New Testament church. Matthew 15. Jesus said to the Pharisees who thought they were right with God in their Judaism, He said this to them, and of course this has application to the New Testament church. He says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You guys know that great text. You know, you, you, you do church talk. You know, you, you're full of church talk. But you don't love me. And I don't know you and you're not one of mine. It's what he said to these guys who thought they were the leaders of God's people. This is what God said. So I laid all that groundwork to, so we would clearly understand that the Bible has always said there are many pretenders among the people of God. People who want illusions and pleasantry. And they will not go to a church unless that church provides illusions and pleasantries in one form or another. So it's one way to identify, you know, these, some of these guys are really slick, man. You, they're so slick, it's, it's hard, to, it's hard to, to tell. It's hard to tell that they're false. They're so good at what they do. But it'll be in their life somewhere. One way we can see it from the, from the text here is there's a sensuality to them. And when Blessing read the text, it was, a different, it was a different word, I think. Do you remember what you read, Blessing? I don't think it was sensuality, was it? Unrestrained ways. Unrestrained ways. It'll be in their life. You can see it in their life. You can see it in the life of a false teacher. This defiant refusal to surrender to the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. It's in their sensuality. Verse 2, and it's in their greed. Verse 3. Believe it or not, in the past, some false teachers, maybe even today, I don't know, advocate sexual freedom in the name of Christian liberty. Let us uh, sin all the more that grace may abound. Right? As Paul said rhetorically and facetiously, I think in Romans, while this kind of silliness is seldom overtly taught, let me just make a point here, an application point. It is often implied in the modern church that you can call yourself a Christian and you can live any way you want because we have grace. 
Listen, beloved, if that's your attitude, you don't know the first thing about biblical grace. But you know, there's this sentiment in the modern church that sexual morality and purity aren't a real big deal with God. That as a Christian, you can have sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's okay with God. You can view porn if you want to. It's okay with God. You can pursue and engage in adulterous affairs. It doesn't matter to God. I have grace. His grace will cover me. You can be a practicing homosexual. It's okay. God's grace will cover me. I, I love what Jude 4 says. You know who Jude is, right? Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. If you go read Jude 4, it says, these ungodly persons have turned the grace of God, our God into licentiousness and they deny our Master and our Lord. The word licentiousness, I know it's not a word that's in your lexicon, at least on a daily basis. It simply means extravagant immorality. Extravagant immorality. The true Christian sins. I tell you that almost every Sunday. We all sin. We all have a struggle with sin. We're all fighting sin. We're all seeking to move on in sanctification. But we never build our life around a lifestyle of sin. We never presume on God's grace. And God is saying that these men, these men of sensuality, they are false. And you can see it in their lives because of that sensuality. Peter goes on to say, and because of these guys and what they teach, the truth is maligned. The truth is maligned. You actually look at that word in the Greek. The, the Greek is blasphemio. The truth is blasphemed because of these, well, the way these false teachers teach and the way they live and the way uh, their followers who call themselves Christians live. Let us sin all the more that grace may abound. Beloved, this is not biblical Christianity. This is not biblical Christianity. This is an illusion. These are pleasantries that I can live any way I want. And God's obliged to save me by His grace. Wrong! Wrong. Wrong, beloved. Verse 3, we're only going to cover just a half of verse 3. Because the second part of verse 3, the second half of verse 3, it sets up next week, so I'm not going to go all the way through there, but the first part of verse 3, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Yesterday I had a few minutes and I was making good progress on the sermon. And so I just thought I'd go out and Google my favorite prosperity preacher, which of course I don't have one. You know, there's a guy I mention a lot in my preaching, but uh, I'm not going to name names tonight. But I just thought I'd go out and Google these, some of these guys. It's a breathtaking exercise to see how much money these guys have, to see how much they get paid, and to see how much they own. It's unbelievable. It's astonishing. It'll make your jaw drop. It's the perfect con. Come to God and get money. Oh, and the way that you can get money is if you send me your money. You have to send me your money. And then you'll get money. You know what? God gave me a brain. And that doesn't add up at all. Now, of course, they'll go to the whole passage about sowing the seed. And they, they talk spiritual about it. And they, they, they have all these poor people, all these poor, gullible people, sending them money, sowing that seed, so they'll get a, you know, a cosmic slot machine return from God. Beloved, if, you, if, you, if that's why you give, you should stop giving. If you're, giving, if you're giving for simply a payoff, and we understand there are tons of promises in the Bible. I'm not going to diminish those. Those are God's promises. He blesses those who honor Him in their finances. Praise the Lord. But if your core drive is to hit the slot with God, just stop giving. And certainly don't send it to some guy living in a $5 million house and wearing a $10,000 suit and a $5,000 watch. Don't send it to that guy. He is a false teacher. He couldn't look more different than Jesus. He's the antithesis of Jesus. Okay. 
Oh, you know what I found out on Google yesterday? If you give them your bank account number, they'll just draft it right out of your account. No fuss, no muss. It's very simple. You don't, you don't even have to consciously engage in the act of giving. They'll draft it right out of your account. Because they want you to get money from God because you gave them money. I don't, I don't know how they do it. Well, I, I just, um, people, I'm just, I got to shut up. I don't know. It makes me crazy. So this Greek word here translated false, you'll love this. It's, the Greek word is plastos. It's where we get the word plastic. It, what these guys are saying is plastic, man. It's not real. It's plastic, right? It's bogus. It's artificial. It's a scam. It's, it's not true. Just briefly, an artificial reading of the Bible reveals the lunacy of the prosperity gospel. And I'm just because I've touched on it, I'm going to read you. I have to, I have to go read you 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11. You guys know this text. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the Lord, pardon me, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. I'm not going to do the last half of verse 3. We'll pick that up. Next time we're here because it sets up what God talks about His judgment that will surely fall on these men. If you look at verse 4 through 9, God surely judged the fallen angels. He surely judged the rebels in Noah's day. And He surely judged Sodom and Gomorrah. And the same judgment will fall on all the false teachers. This is the Word of God. Beloved, as I started out, Satan loves religion. He loves every one of them. He authored them. They are His. And I want to say something clear to you. Some of you people may not have... I, I, you may have some fallen PC view that there are, there's more than one way to God. You know, the world likes to tell us well, there, there's many paths. Listen, there's not five paths or four paths or two paths. There's one path to God. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. There is no other path. And love demands that you stand out in the world, this PC world, and you tell them. You love them enough to tell them. There's one way. His name is Jesus Christ. Beloved, love demands it. Love demands it. So, Satan loves pseudo-Christianity. And I'm just going to give you a brief, I'm almost done. Let me just give you a brief summary of how I define pseudo-Christianity. Uh, this is very brief. There are many other things I could say, but I'll just say this. Uh, pseudo-Christianity seeks to reinterpret the Bible. They twist and distort the obvious meaning of the biblical words. I hear this a lot. Pseudo-Christianity will seek to amend the Bible. They alter, modify, or revise the clear meanings from the biblical text. Pseudo-Christianity seeks to edit uh, the Bible to subtract or remove so-called error from Scripture. Pseudo-Christianity seeks to supplant it by putting traditions and the words and wisdom of men in place of the Bible. Pseudo-Christianity seeks to truncate the Bible to ignore or disregard the passages that are uncomfortable for the culture. Pseudo-Christianity seeks to discount the Bible, meaning to dismiss any literal significance or consequence or import in our daily lives. Pseudo-Christianity seeks to supplement the Bible, meaning to put so-called truth or so-called revelation or tradition in, not found in the Bible in the chief place of worship and practice. Lastly, pseudo-Christianity seeks to contextualize the Bible, meaning to discount the full meaning of the Bible's words due to cultural differences between ancient Israel and the 21st century. There are probably others we could talk about, but you get the point. You're a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian tonight, maybe some of you don't, but if you call yourself a Christian tonight, you're supposed to know. You're supposed to know this stuff. And you're supposed to hold every teacher, including me, 
to a really, really high standard. Is what I say in here or not? If it's not in here, it's probably of marginal importance. If what I say is contrary to what is in here, you know it's a lie. You know that it's a lie. Um, as we close, I may have gone a little long. I get a little worked up about this subject. I'm going to turn, and you guys can turn with me if you want. I'm just going to go to um, Ephesians 6. You guys know this great passage. We're going to close with this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this wick darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Verse 13, Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the word of the Spirit, which is, pardon me, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Beloved, do your job. Be a knowledgeable Christian. Be able to discern truth and error. Do your job. You call yourself a son of God, a daughter of God. You call yourself a disciple. Do your job. Share truth in the world. Share the truth in the world. It sometimes has a high cost. Sometimes people will cut you off. But you've got to love people enough to share the truth. You've got to love them enough to share the truth. You know, some things that, that, that called of God preachers of the Bible say, some people in the world call it hate speech. Beloved, it's, it's not hate speech. It's love speech. It is love speech. And you are supposed to be out in the world speaking love speech to everyone you encounter. In the name of Jesus, let's pray together. Awesome God, we tremble before Your Holy Word. Lord, I pray that every soul in here will take to heart what has been said. That we would never again allow ourselves to be deceived by a false teacher. We will take His words and we will take it to the Bible and we will, the plumb line will be Your Word. Lord, I pray that we would be good students. students. We would be like the Bereans. We would be searching the Scripture. And that the Scripture would be our sword, it would be our shield, it would be our meat, it would be our our bread, it would be our drink. That we would love people enough to say, that's not true. Let me tell you the truth, friend. Let me tell you the truth. There's only one way to God. His name is Jesus Christ. And you don't have to do a ton of religious stuff. You just got to place your faith in Him. And God will save your soul. Lord, give us what we need. Help us, to be encouraged. Help us to be courageous in the world. Help us to speak truth in the world. We pray all this in His beautiful name. Amen. Shall we sing?